Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. They go to the corner to Maitland. Maitland's there! Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. The first ever Autumn Nations Cup is over, but we are looking straight ahead into a Champions Cup weekend, so there's still tons to talk about in Scottish rugby. Um, As ever, it's David, Alan and Matt here to chew over all of the news and the weird and wonderful stuff going on um, in Scottish rugby this week. Um, Alan, give us a bit of a Freya update. How are things? Uh, Yeah, good. She uh, was obviously incredibly disappointed that she uh, she ha- she experienced a sort of second Scotland loss, and actually it was the first time we've got um, the Scotland onesie on. Which uh, after about twenty minutes, she um, proceeded to vomit all over it, so we had to change her at, uh, at halftime. But that was probably a fair reflection of um, of the referee's kind of um, decision to Simbin Donkey Taylor. Yeah, that's a that sounds like a viable dirty protest to me from Freya. Um, good for her, but shame to get a back to back loss. But she's going to have to get used to it. Unfortunately, um, Matt, how are you doing, bud? Yeah, good. I, I was just quite upset for her as well, seeing as you had that wonderful um, tenants parcel delivered uh, with the tenants baubles, and it arrived uh, not in the best best condition. So tough, tough few days in the little household, really. Yeah, I thought I would. I, I, I saw that tenants have a shop because I was originally looking at sort of the advent calendars, and then I went on the shop and uh, decided to get a few sort of different things. But one of them being some um, tenants themed baubles for the for the tree, 
And uh, yeah, they sort of arrived in the box and arrived with the ball smashed, which again, Freya proceeded to cry and threw up on herself because she was so disappointed. But uh, fair play, fair play to tenants. To be fair, they slipped into the DMs and have, uh, have said that they're, they're dealing with the situation, and we've requested that they chuck in a, a couple of additional cans as uh, as payment for the for the inconvenience. Well, quite right too, um, tenants. What what a wonderful group of guys. Let's hope they don't let us down. Um, and Freya's disappointed again if there's no free cans, but. Um, well, shamelessly plugging for tenant sponsorship aside, we should probably get into a little bit of Scottish rugby news. And it is, it's Thursday evening, and actually Thursday has been a bounty of Scottish rugby news for us to get into. Um, Gregor Townsend, head coach, has been confirmed in position until after the World Cup in 2023. We talked about it a little bit on last week's um, episode. I think everybody was pretty much expecting that. Alan or Matt, anything particularly you want to add to that? I think post the last two games, there's been sort of a slight kind of change in, in the mood around Tooney. And I think it's uh, it's become a sort of slightly negative, especially sort of post the sort of Ireland game. And there's been sort of question marks around kind of what Scotland is trying to do from an attacking um, perspective. But I think if you actually go all the way back to the start of the Six Nations, and if you'd ask people at the time, what does Tooney need to do during this tournament to, to essentially um, prove that he deserves another two years of kind of in the run-up to the World Cup, I don't think anyone would have said more than three Six Nations wins. And one, and one of them being away, or two of them being away, one of them being away to Wales. So I think ultimately he's, you know, he's had had this test, and I think he's kind of proved pretty conclusively that he deserves at least another two years to kind of build this team. I, I suppose the thing is as well, um, who who else would really be available? Um, I think quite a lot of people have talked about Cockrell maybe uh, treading that sort of well, uh, well worn path from Edinburgh Scotland coach, but. I think there's still question marks around him and, and recent performances haven't been great. Uh, you know, the names like Scott Robertson are sort of banded about, but I think that's more in, in hope than anything. Um, and then also, I suppose, just where we are in the World Cup cycle, either you're going to give him sort of a, a one-year extension or you're going to do two. So I think it, it kind of makes sense in, in, that, in that perspective as well. What about the return of Alan Solomons? To the, to the Scotland job, hey, he's doing all right. To be fair, he, like whilst mm-hmm. I absolutely do not want him anywhere near the Scotland job, he's sort of weirdly sort of um, sorry, that's my my work email. Um, he's uh, he's he's managed to sort of change his brand a little bit at Worcester. No, I, I think he's still Worcester are finishing just above the relegation slash getting relegated every year. That's the most they'll do, and that's what he's probably quite suited to. To be fair, I've, I've I got a theory. Be I think if you, let me take you. Let me take you forward to twenty twenty three. Scotland with an agonising quarter final loss in the uh, in the Rugby World Cup. Tooney steps down. Mark Dodson steps down, and wholesale Ulster return squads. Johnny Petrie to the top job. And um, Dan McFarlane in the Scotland job after a couple more years of um, Ulster continuing their rise through European rugby. That's what I'm putting my money on. It's a neat solution. 
And you could put in Chuck and Roddy Grant to that as well, assistant coach. If if Ulster were to sort of win the Pro 14 and go really deep in the Champions Cup in the next two years, I, I generally don't like. I, I do think that's a a relatively um, you know likely scenario because I do get the impression that almost a little bit like there needs to be maybe a rugby man coming into that top job. Like whilst I think Dodson's sort of done a great job sort of commercially, it feels like from sort of the clubs, there's this sort of desire to have someone who sort of understands like rugby and Scottish rugby at like the heart of the SRU. And maybe Johnny Petrie gives you that, gives you that sort of blend of both kind of rugby and commercial. Well, exactly. Well, let's keep an eye on, uh, on that. I'm not sure I'm going to get, a bookie to give me odds on the next chief executive of Scottish rugby, but we can maybe look into. I'll give you odds. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Uh, what about uh, five to one? How about three to one for Petrie and ten to one for the combo to come in at the same time? All right, I'll give you ten ten quid on the ten to one. The brace. <laughs> All right, it's on. Lovely. That is my betting slip. My digital betting slip is submitted. Fantastic news. Um, Well, speaking of money, um, there was a big announcement out of the Scottish government today. They have announced a package of support for Scottish sport, including £15 million in grant funding and £5 million in loan funding to Scottish rugby. We've known that the SRU have been in sort of very close communications with them. the Scottish government and the British government um, did a similar sort of bailout for sports um, about a month to six weeks ago. And we speculated what that would mean for Scotland. Um, but that seems like a, a pretty significant um, cash injection to the SRU when it's, um, when it's needed. And uh, Matt, what was, uh, what was your response to it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that Dalton will be eyeing up a pretty hefty bonus at the end of, uh, of 2020 and 2021. Um, no, it, it's obviously really, really good news. Um, you know, uh, we, we were kind of speculating today whether there's been quite a lot of uh, sort of debate around um, why the SOU haven't published their accounts yet. Um, and, and I wonder if, you know, they were waiting for this, you know, these sort of discussions were taking place and they were waiting for the, for the confirmation of it before they released some of those figures. Uh, but yeah, it's obviously... Like a really positive development. It's great. The schmoozing of uh, Nicola over the last sort of five to ten years has been pretty good from the SRU. I feel like they really laid the foundations. They've had a had a couple of like. Well, they obviously had the uh, the uh, Tavish Scott come in, the ex kind of MSP. They've sort of built those political connections, and you know, it's it's you know clearly they've sort of um, demonstrated that um, they are a pretty sort of of important asset within within Scotland, and uh, you do get the impression that sort of the SRU kind of within Scotland is sort of highlighted as kind of best in class when it comes to sort of kind of Scottish kind of sports administration a little bit. I think it certainly seems that it's high. It's more highly regarded than the SFA. I think that was sort of shown by the fact that you know they were a little bit quicker to get sort of return to play fans back into grounds. And it seems to have been much more, much less of a fraught process than perhaps footballs had to go through. But maybe that's just a reflection on sort of 
number of fixtures and scale rather than anything else. But yeah, I think Tavish Scott is just sort of, he slipped Nicola some salmon just to sort of really sweeten that deal from his new gig. A um, little bit of smoked salmon for it just to get the 15 mil over the line. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, there's a few, um, I think when Dodson came out and said that they were really going to try and have no no redundancies at the SRU. And I think sort of in a few quarters of Scottish Rugby Media, it's almost kind of been suggested that it was almost kind of a little bit unpragmatic and it wasn't realistic. And I think hopefully what this does, it gives kind of the SRU that funding to sort of carry it through sort of this year, hopefully allows it to not go through sort of any redundancies, which I think when you look at kind of the impact of Basically, every other kind of union and sporting institution in the UK is, is pretty is pretty rare to, to see that. And um, I guess hopefully that means that the SOU, in comparison to a lot of its peers, can kind of come out and sort of rebound a little bit quicker. Alan, how much of uh, the, that bonus has Dodson promised you for being so kind of sycophantic towards him on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> What one one percent for every ten seconds of compliment? So I'm sort of eyeing up maybe around six six and a half percent. I think that's pretty decent. You're going to take a lot of listeners with your positive take on on the how, on how the SRU is is run and governed. Apologies, you know sometimes criticism is deserved, and sometimes positivity is deserved. It's called bringing a balanced perspective to the discussion. Yeah. Uh- our shilling for the SRU has actually been disappointingly um, poorly paid so far. Um, our cheerleading just doesn't doesn't get us enough coin. They uh, hopefully now the government cash injections in, uh, we can get some get some money for this um, sweet coverage. Yeah, I know. I feel like in probably if you look at sort of the breadth of sort of Scottish rugby media, and I will for for a moment count us in that. I feel like in terms of sort of the, the SOU sort of response to the pandemic and general sort of money management, we're probably slightly on the positive side and definitely have got the least amount of kind of access to anything. <laughs> what I'm saying is Mark Dodson better be on the pod next week or uh, we're going to turn. We're going to turn on them. Um, turning to our hand to another much uh, controversial part of the SRU the Scots qualified program has been um, absolutely um, tearing uh, what am I trying to say the Scots qualified program has been delivering a number of new players to our waters and a little bit of gossip this morning as well we'll start with the two players added with almost no fanfare at all to Edinburgh's um, European squad um, last week. Um, There is winger Corey Winters uh, from New Zealand and fly half Charlie Savala um, from uh, from Australia. Uh, Both Scottish qualified, um, Savala through his airborne father and um, the other one whose name I've closed the tab of, is has got a um, Edinburgh-born grandfather, um, Alan. Interesting that these lads, young young that they are, they're both only twenty years old and have pretty negligible professional rugby experience. I mean, Savala indeed has come from the academy of the Sydney Roosters, so literally a different sport. Is it interesting that we're seeing these two people um, 
straight into Edinburgh's European squad? Uh, I think, yes. I think it just ultimately highlights how desperate a situation probably Edinburgh face and the fact that well, you know, whilst obviously they're getting players back from internationals, their ability to call up anyone um, from outside of, uh, from within sort of the Super 6 structure, it's just, it, they're just not able to because no one within Super 6 has played a game for the last sort of nine months. So ultimately, if you're wanting to bring in anyone with a bit who's had a bit of game time over the last um, nine months, it's got to be either a you know Scottish qualified player from a player from abroad. And if possible, if he can be a Scottish qualified player, then I guess that's sort of for the better, right? Absolutely. And I'm reading Carly Savala's um, bio on the Edinburgh uh, website right now. He play, He has played one game for Air. Air Minis, aged nine, turned out for them. Um, so he's actually got an awful lot of pedigree. Yeah, he's homegrown. I, I, th- I yeah. think it's... Um... I think the fact that they've been added into the squad, like I, I don't have a problem with them um, signing for Edinburgh because it sounds like obviously their Scots qualified and um, this Savalas guy in particular seems to have pretty good pedigree. That played for Scots College, which is you know one of the best rugby schools in the world, and then was in the Sydney Roosters Academy. Uh, and those rugby league academies tend to sort of snoop around the the best players in general. But so you know that there's potential there for him to be quite an exciting player but to go straight into the Edinburgh European Cup squad to me seems pretty bizarre but I don't know I would I would be quite surprised to see him play within that I, d- I don't know if it's just you know I- injury cover that sort of thing it yeah it, just, it seems a bit strange to me yeah, I suppose we should probably qualify that statement in that he has been added to the long list of players that can be selected by Edinburgh in European fixtures. So it's a it's a bit of paperwork that essentially qualifies people for these these times rather than he's been sort of named in a short list or anything like that. But I suppose, Alan, I'm kind of on your side. It is very interesting that they've and it sort of highlights the difficulties that Edinburgh are under right now that they've got to bring in players. Like that. And there may be another. There may be um, more. This, um, South African rugby Twitter is awash with discussions about the future of promising lock David Myhusen. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And the fact, the discussion that he has been subject to a big money bid as Scotland's next project player. Um, the um, Stormers coach was giving an interview. He says... Um, he was talking about a lot of rumours about his players being taken. He said, David is different. He's not a guy trying to run off his contract. He's got a decision to make about his future. I haven't explored it in detail yet, but he is eligible for England and Scotland, and he is in high demand from Scotland. Um, There have been informal approaches via his agent. And then he sort of says quite disparagingly, but also fair, in Scotland, if you get a 2-metre, 2.8-metre, 2.8 2.8 metres would be absolutely massive. 2.2 metres and 8 centimetre player, 123 kilograms, that's a big unit. So he's going to be of interest. What do you make of all of this? There's obviously lots of conversation last week around Jakob Wandervalt um, being called into the Scotland squad and Duhan, obviously, our South African contingent is growing. What do you make about this prospective sort of young second row joining the ranks, Alan? 
Do you think that that comment is saying that sort of Scots in general are quite malnourished and therefore sort of like on average are quite sort of small in comparison to other nations? If you're over sort of two metres, therefore you're like ultimately sort of a giant. It's a dig. It's a dig. And I think we should um, unilaterally declare war against the Stormers. It's a a dig on our nation. But um, I kind of wonder, you know, I mean, ultimately, I haven't seen, I haven't seen, I can't remember watching him play for the the Stormers, but I guess ultimately sort of with the sort of size and sort of pedigree, it feels like, you know, he's, he's going to make a pretty great impression um, at sort of at least pro club level. And ultimately, if he's Scots qualified, it feels like a little bit of a, a little bit of a no-brainer. I, I, I'm not sure exactly which, which team he would go to, though. I think I, I would imagine Glasgow are lobbying pretty hard to, to bring him in, considering the depth that Edinburgh have at second row and the fact that they have been signing players recently. Um, but then again, someone like Andres Ferreira, I think has just been signed in a short-term deal. So you never know, he might, he might come in. Um, I, I think on the broader point around the the sort of bringing in someone to, to naturalise him with the residency laws, it's maybe just unfortunate timing that this news has come on the back of Yaku, Kebel, and Van der Merwe all being capped in the Austin Nations Cup. Um, whereas I think in the past you've kind of seen when that does happen, it's probably been a bit more gradual. The fact that they're all South African as well, it, it maybe it, it doesn't look great on the surface. Um, but I kind of I kind of think about it overall and think if you can still because I think in recent years there have been young guys coming through the under twenties, and if you look just even at the actual Scotland squad at the moment, there are a lot of homegrown guys in it. And given Scotland's player pool and all the things we've talked about it before, if you can bring through like young, talented guys from abroad who have you know played at super rugby level, I think Scotland have to use that sort of tool. They've got to use everything to their advantage. Yeah, I suppose the difference between all these three versions that we've, these three versions, these three individuals that we've just talked about over the last 10 minutes is they are all qualified through a parent or actually we, it doesn't say in the article the South African chaps um, lineage, but the two guys that have joined Edinburgh, they are Scots qualified, whereas obviously Duhan, Yako and Kebel have qualified through residency. So I see them as a completely different kettle of fish. And actually the Scots qualified program is a is probably on the more legitimate end of um, how we go out there and in- increase the rugby talent that can come through and play for Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, ultimately, I, you know, obviously you, you don't know kind of what each person's sort of personal situation is, but I imagine that if I ever moved to New Zealand, I would like to hope that my future son and grandson care as much about Scotland and sort of Scottish rugby as sort of I do. So I think, you know, ultimately it's, I, I think you're right in the sense that you've got to basically place it in a completely separate column to the residency debate and bringing people in for whether it's three to five years. The, uh, the one other thing I just wanted to mention that, I guess the player that I guess Edinburgh wished they'd sort of kept on on the back end of last season was sort of Jason, Jason Baggett, who whilst obviously not sort of tearing up trees for Edinburgh. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com/acast code acast. Was potentially like quite a reliable sort of standoff. And uh, I was actually having a look at his look at his LinkedIn, and it's uh, his LinkedIn is semi-professional rugby player slash cryptocurrency trader. So he's sort of quite rugby. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no cockerel sent him packing, going back to Melrose, and he's just chilling in the borders, just trading Bitcoin. <laughs> well. Fa- genuinely fantastic! I'm really happy you looked at his LinkedIn today, Alan. That is that is great news. Um, but we will we'll move on to probably less great news and talk about Scotland Ireland. But um, it will be very interesting to see what other delights come from the Scottish qualified program um, because it's clearly you know they're clearly unearthing talent all around the world that has got that Scottish lineage, um, which it's designed to. Still nothing from the Scots qualified scouts. In Japan, we're still waiting for that first one to come through, but we will let you know as soon as it does. Um, Scotland, Ireland, Matt, you and I watched it together. Disappointing, thirty-one sixteen lot, and it it felt like a real sort of um, a real bit of a letdown um, from that squad ending the tournament that way. Yeah, there was something about it that was quite deflating. Obviously, Scotland played very well in that opening 15-20 minutes, um, taking that sort of nine-six lead, and maybe that was why going down thirty-one sixteen in the end was was quite tough to take. But yeah, it was it was disappointing. It felt like you know Scotland obviously dominated territory possession at the start of the game, but weren't really able to convert um, that in on, onto the scoreboard. And although the attack looked better, I thought. Scotland didn't really seem, it didn't really look like they were going to score a try, which was a bit concerning. And then, you know, following the Duncan Taylor yellow card, Ireland started to take the ascendancy. And as they started to apply pressure, it just felt as if Scotland really fell apart. And that's something that we've sort of been told that Scotland don't do anymore. That they're more resilient and and more silly, and their their defence has improved. So. Yeah, overall, pretty pretty disappointing uh, outcome in the end. I thought it was like a real game of momentum. So, kind of really started off with Ireland, and then for that sort of ten to thirty minute period, Scotland, whilst you know, absolutely right, from Matt's point, weren't able to score a try, but were really in the ascendancy and kind of Jacko and kind of. Chris Harris, suspect, and Duncan Taylor were really sort of running. Felt like they were sort of leading the game, and and then really just kind of both sides of half time. You had sort of the Duncan Taylor um, yellow card, and Ireland were just really able to kind of control and sort of suffocate 
Scotland and you sort of got to the point where Scotland were ahead at sort of 30 minutes and then you got to sort of 55 minutes and Ireland were pretty far out in front and it, it really felt like it was kind of too big a mountain to overcome. And then in that second half, you had this sort of minor sort of Scottish resistance when Duhan made his break and then it felt like Scotland were kind of getting back in the game and then actually that, that moment when Fraser Brown did that sort of shoulder on them. Um, can't remember if it was Stockdale or, or Earls or, or someone like that. And Ireland were just able to get that sort of penalty deep in sort of Scotland's half. And I think from that point, they got sort of two scores ahead and it was sort of game over. But it really felt like a game that had a lot of sort of sways in terms of who was sort of in control and who was sort of um, leading the game. Because for between that 10 and 30 minutes, you know, really felt like Jekyll was playing kind of above his sort of normal level for Edinburgh and was really, I know there was a few comments from on Twitter about, you know, Jekyll was being the sort of test match animal. Um, and then actually in that second half, I can I can hardly remember even Jekyll, Chris Harris or Dunkey Taylor sort of getting the ball. Another big talking point that came out of the um, of this game, and I suppose it's been a talking point from the wider competition itself, was... Um, Stuart Hogg's captaincy of Scotland, whether he's got enough influence on the game from fullback when obviously um, we had a tough day at the breakdown. Um, and then obviously his sort of after-match comments in the last two rounds, he's sort of saying that Scotland have been dominant for large swathes of the game, which has, I would say has been questionable. Um, Matt, what, what were your take? is your take on sort of Hoggy as, as Scotland captain at the moment? Yeah, first, on the comment stuff, I think it wasn't too outlandish a statement following the, the France game. I think that Scotland were definitely in a position to win that game. And if you looked at the possession and territory and all the other stats, uh, that, that probably um, bore itself out. I think the Ireland one, you know, he's coming off the pitch. He's absolutely shattered. He is trying to be as positive as possible. And, you know, maybe he just misspoke slightly. Um, but, yeah, I think the more... The more concerning thing is just, I think in the France game and the Ireland game, um, you know, that there hasn't seemed to be someone getting in the, the ear of the referee and just, you know, asking for a bit more clarity or being able to influence them in the same way that you could see someone like Johnny Sexton doing at the weekend. And obviously you've got the vice captains of Fraser Brown and I think Ali Price, but it seems as if something isn't quite working there. And just, you know, getting your message from up to the team from fullback must be really difficult. And I think that, you know, when I think over the last year or so, um, including in the World Cup, when things haven't been going Scotland's way, uh, you know, the leadership appears to have been lacking. I think back to the World Cup and McAnally sort of seemed almost like shell-shocked by the Ireland game. Um, and it just And then maybe if you look at Edinburgh in their knockout games recently, we sort of talked about the, the seeming inability of Scottish players to to adapt and sort of come through adverse situations, I suppose. I guess a little bit is sort of potentially falls into that co- the kind of conversation around Tooney where potentially it's not perfect, but is there actually anyone else that can step up? It, there doesn't feel like there's sort of, even if Hall was to step down, there isn't anyone really in that team who feels like, they can naturally step up into that role. Yeah, I think that's an inter- yeah. that is an inter- interesting point. 
Yeah, I think um, if you were to sort of come up with a short list of players, I think quite a lot of people have mentioned Jamie Ritchie, but you know he's still pretty green. And I think he's a guy that thrives off kind of the more emotional side of, of things. Um, you know, I think jo- Johnny Gray can be a leader in some senses and he has captained um, Glasgow quite a lot in, in the past. But, but once again he often seems like the kind of player in, in those games against your Ireland's and you know, France the other week doesn't quite take the game by the scruff of the neck. And I see him as sort of a leader by example, rather than maybe through um, dialogue or communication, that sort of thing. So it's, it's, it's a difficult one beyond that to think who, who should be captain, obviously sort of Brown and McAnally have, have been captains in the past, but that hooker shirt is still maybe slightly up for grabs as well. Yeah, no, agreed, and I, I guess I, I'm sort of, I, I don't think Hogg's the perfect captain for for Scotland, but I, I'm not sure I sort of see anyone else that, that fills that role, and I think I think Hogg, from a sort of comms, kind of outward comms standpoint, is, has actually really excelled in the role as captain, I think, like, in the last year, in terms of, like, his, you know, sort of media profile is, is is so good and I almost think for him a little bit it's a little bit sort of psychological and it feels like it comes across like he's, he's trying so hard on the pitch to make an impact and actually when he's at his best is when he's he's sort of a bit more relaxed and um and sort of waiting for the opportunities to come to him and I think potentially you know it, it is Hogg stays in as captain and there just needs to be more of a more of a sort of step up from the forwards in terms of them taking up kind of a leadership role within that pack. Yeah, and we're sort of already edging into it now. We're sort of looking at a bit of the state of the nation. Um, Alan, where do you think Scotland are after that sort of Autumn Nations Cup campaign? Um, What have we learned? And, you know, are you positive about the future if you're ever positive about Scottish rugby? I don't think I'm sort of any more positive or negative than I was um, pre the Autumn Nations Cup. Probably slightly more positive than I was post the World Cup. Um, I guess you know it's it's obviously great that our defence has um, has improved, but ultimately the sort of regression and attack is is not only quite damaging, but is actually like quite depressing from sort of a Scotland perspective. And I think at the moment, the the one caveat is it's not really clear whether Finn will be sort of ultimately just the saviour of that. And actually, once Finn comes back, you know, the attack's just going to sort of sort itself, right? So I think at the moment, I'm sort of quietly optimistic. I'm happy that our defence improved. Scrum especially feels like it's on a good footing. And it would be interesting to see, you know, I'd love Finn just sort of come out post this injury sort of fit and raring to go and sort of coming into that six nations and sort of leading, leading that Scotland attack. Matt, what about you? Positive about the future? I mean, I I think the positives are you've introduced in Kebble, Jacko and Van der Merwe, a, a lot of quality into that Scotland squad. Um, I think, you know, one of the concerns in the past was our, uh, strength and depth at both uh, loose head prop and standoff. 
And yeah, I agree with what Alan said earlier that I, I thought Jacko sort of seemed to step up in that Scotland trip, particularly in that first 20 minutes. And you would like to think he is probably a better option than, than Duncan Weir at the moment. Do, Doohan's been, you know, everything that, that we could have possibly hoped for. And Kebble is, is a great backup for, for Sutherland. Other positives, I suppose. Um, I thought Cummings had a really good tournament. I thought Ali Price had a far better tournament than than I expected. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. I, I think there there is a sense that if Scotland can get Finn Russell back on the pitch in particular, that it, it you know can change things a lot. Um, and I, the the only thing I'm thinking is you know if, if Scotland play Scotland could when Russell comes back because apart from that there's not too many injuries could put out their strongest possible side and you, you can go through it. But but my fear is still that it's not quite good enough. And we have England as our first match in the Six Nations, which I'm pretty worried about. And it, it feels as if, you know, this is a really talented bunch of players, but they're just maybe, whether it's through just their overall quality or the mentality or coaching it's just maybe not quite enough to to compete at the you know at the top table. Yeah, I think that sort of ruthless sort of power game that we saw from England, while not particularly amazing to watch, um, and maybe it didn't fire on full cylinders um, this autumn, but you know it still won them the whole competition and is exactly the sort of blueprint that Scotland have sort of traditionally struggle to play against also chucking in just the cut the um the karma of england at twickenham on my birthday there's absolutely no way that we're getting anywhere close to winning that game wait and see it's uh how long is it now since scotland have won at twickenham sort of 30 something years yeah, I'm trying to work out if I was actually alive since we're talking about my birthday. <laughs> I don't think we were. I think it's 1987. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, Two years it's, a, it's a big ask, right? And, and for some reason, you know, we seem to have a bit of an issue recently with Twickenham, you know. Obviously, four years, four years ago, we had the kind of pumping pre-Lions and two years ago I appreciate we got a draw but that game could have so easily ended up being an absolute <laughs> absolute pumping um, and I guess you know it does feel like that 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 first weekend of the Six Nations is going to be so important obviously for, for Scotland but then also it just feels like in the general narrative of Scottish players and them going on the Lions that Scotland lost to England in 2017 has just been sort of really put up there as this kind of match that Gatlin used to kind of find whether the Scotland players were kind of ready for the Lions and, and ultimately sort of failed quite dramatically. So it feels like for a lot of those sort of Scotland players who potentially are on sort of edges of the discussion, whether it's sort of Xander, Fraser Brown, um, Ali Price, you know, Cummings, I would put in there... Um, Sam Johnson, etc. It feels like that's a really, really big game for them to really sort of make a statement about where they are in sort of the, the Lions pecking order. Absolutely. So, um, 
Yeah, well, well, we'll certainly look forward to that. Matt, have you got anything else to say on Scotland England, or should we look ahead to easy fixtures at the weekend for the Scotland Pro teams? Yeah, let's do the Champions Cup. Yeah, so I was going to say, um, just finally on our sort of canter through Scottish rugby news this week, two big fixtures the first weekend of the slightly truncated Champions Cup. Um, Edinburgh back at the top table for the first time in a wee while, welcoming La Rochelle um, to Murrayfield, and then Glasgow going away to Sandy Park on Sunday to English and European champions Exeter Chiefs. Matt, are you penciling in two losses already, or do you think we can see something a bit different now the teams have got their Scotland players back? I think it'll obviously make a big difference. I think Edinburgh at home, if they can get out their best side, I think could beat La Rochelle. Um, La Rochelle's still a bloody good team who have beaten Edinburgh at Murrayfield in recent years. I think it was the Challenge Cup a few years ago. But I think if Edinburgh, as I say, if Edinburgh can get out their full strength team, I, I, I think that is a game they, sh- they should be able to win. Um, then turning to, to Sunday, Exeter, away from home, I think Exeter have you know, played three in the Premiership, three very comfortable bonus point wins against a Glasgow team coming off the back of a pretty shocking defeat to the Dragons and who've really been pretty poor this season. I've things. Yeah, I know. Admittedly, we'll have some of the Scotland players back, but I'm I'm pretty worried about that game um, because I just feel like Exeter will quite comfortably dominate them up front um, and sort of impose that power game, which you know Scotland and um, Glasgow tend not to do so well against. Well, keen to get your thoughts. The bookies have got Exeter winning by twenty one points, and I almost think that's a bit generous to Glasgow. Well, I think the game, yeah, the the game was it last season when they went down to to Sandy Park, um, and everyone was predicting an absolute pumping, and they they did okay. I can't remember the exact score. Yeah, you know, they did. They were. I think it was they were potentially either winning or very close at half time, and then I remember Slade scored a try, sort of literally first minute back, and then they just sort of scored a couple of tries off the back of half time. And then obviously Glasgow got a draw in the second match. Yeah, exactly. But but once again, that was, you know, with um, Adam Hastings, for instance. Thirty four eighteen was the that defeat um, at Sandy Park, which you know isn't sixteen points. Actually, not not too bad. Um, and as you say, in a half time. But I, I get I get the sense, you know, that was under Rennie as well. I, th- I think this Glasgow team is just in a pretty different place now. Well, should we finish off with a couple of predictions then? Um, Alan, I'll come to you first and let's talk about Edinburgh, La Rochelle. What do you reckon is going to go happen? So, the, again, the, the bookies actually have La Rochelle to win by four. Um, and my sort of betting run on rugby has been a little bit hit or miss recently. But I have actually, last night, put, um, put some money on Edinburgh to win. So um, I don't know. I've got a feeling that uh, with a lot of the a lot of the um, sort of Scotland players back, plus Bill Matter, and I don't know at home against French opposition, I've got a feeling that 
I've actually got a feeling that Edinburgh are going to do quite well in uh, in the Champions Cup. I think I think they've got the sort of team and game to beat both La Rochelle and Sale. So I'm going to go for Edinburgh by five, and then I'm going to go. Actually, that's probably a bit harsh. I actually don't think 21 is that generous, but I think Glasgow will will be potentially quite close at, up into half time, and it'll be a sort of similar story as the last time where Exeter will just sort of pull away in the sort of kind of third quarter. So uh, maybe say sort of Glasgow to lose by sort of 15. I'll take those bets. Sounds good. And Matt, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'll, I'll take those bets. Sounds good to me. Look, when has Alan ever led us astray until now? So why not? I'll ruin behind him. And if you are a smart listener, you will too. Um, that's the return of Alan's sure thing. So get get your money behind it. Uh, be like Freya's trust fund, which is currently lying barren um, after Alan um, spending it at the bookies. So um, poor girl. Um, right. Are you going to say something, Alan? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. It's uh, I, I, I did sort of go against sort of um, the the nation, and I did actually drop a bit of Freya's and Freya's kind of future university fund on England to win the Autumn Nations Cup. So for the first time, the sort of the last sort of five minutes, I was like, I was actually quite into England winning. And when sort of Billy <laughs> Vinopola knocked off, I was like, didn't happen. Forget about it. It's all good. I was like, hey, I was like. Look, hating and then loving Owen Farrell at the end <laughs> you absolute traitor we're going to have to ca- we're going to we're going to get cancelled because of you that is a real issue um, but anyway thank you very much for listening um, lots and lots of stuff still going on in Scottish rugby and we'll be back to talk you through everything this European uh, weekend has to throw at us um, you can follow us on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod on Instagram Thistle underscore rugby underscore pod and send us an email at thistlerugby at gmail.com. And we will speak to you very soon. Thanks a lot. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.